Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Verse by Verse. Of course, those of you that get the podcast, it may not be morning, but it's morning here where I am located. And I uh, just want to take the time to say thank you once again for all of you, to all of you who listen. Uh, got word the other day, someone wrote in and said, I found the podcast. And so that's always a great thing. Um, let me tell you, uh, as we open this morning, uh, let me reiterate a couple things. Number one, if you listen to the podcast, especially those of you that listen on your iPhone or your Android, um, you need to subscribe if you want to continue to get it automatically. Now, of course, you can go every day and look and see if a new one's up. But if you want to get it automatically, you do need to subscribe. Okay, so um, that applies to those that are using phones. Now, those of you that use other devices, you probably have to subscribe in order to get the original podcast to start with. Okay, so uh, a couple other things as well that we're going to be doing. I have other things that I'm involved in. Uh, I am in the middle, or I'm starting another writing project, and so that requires quite a bit of time to do. So we're, we're going to have to do a little bit of fancy footwork here on time, which will mean I'm probably going to do podcasts two days a week, and I'm probably going to use the other three days during the week for full writing sessions. Okay, so um, you know they may not be every single day, maybe two days a week, sometimes three, but uh, I have to use my time as wisely as I can. Uh, the office, you know, we normally don't work in the office on the weekends, um, so we're, we're doing everything pretty much during the week. Now, of course, I teach on Sunday at our local church, but um, so that's kind of where we are, and we will, you know, we're, we're getting some things done. So today we're going to be looking at Leviticus chapters 23 through 25, and we're going to be looking at, you know, as I read through this, um, basically we're looking at two things. Number one, celebrating the Lord. These are a number of feasts, especially in 23 that we're going to be looking at. Uh, and then, of course, obeying the Lord. And that's going to be the theme for the rest of the book uh, as well, because there are consequences when we obey the Lord and observe what he says is right and then of course there are consequences when we do not obey and the children of Israel experienced both and so do we today experience both as God's people as we are his children as we tried to say the other day as a child of God when we stray he will at times when he deems it necessary uh, he will in fact take corrective measures to put us back on the path and sometimes those corrective measures can be quite um, potent if you will extensive uh, in other words they hurt okay uh, because he wants us to get back on the path he doesn't want us to get off well we'll see that as we go through well so we'll probably finish Leviticus there's a lot in 26 27 that we don't want to rush through, so we'll probably get that next week. We'll end the book of Leviticus, get into the book of Luke, and uh, you know, as we said before, we go back old, new, old, new, Old Testament, New Testament, etc., etc., to kind of give you a little variety here, okay? But in today's lesson, we're going to be looking at chapters 23 through 25. Verse 1 of chapter 23, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, in verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, concerning the feasts of the Lord which ye shall proclaim to be holy 
convocations, even these are my feasts. There are a lot of celebrations in the Old Testament. Uh, God is a celebratory God, and he wants his people to be celebratory. You know, if you are uh, right with the Lord, you're in his will, uh, you, you feel like celebrating. You, you just feel like, wow, God is good. You know, I'm serving him, and, and he wants us to enjoy these feasts. He wants us to enjoy life. Uh, God is not a God that is so rigid and, you know, uh, uh, so rigid and there's a word I'm looking for, I can't pull it out right now, um, regimented that, um, you know, we, we can't enjoy life, okay? He, God wants his people to enjoy him and so he gives opportunity to do that. Now, the first feast we look at here in verse 3 says, six days shall shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work, ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So now, we looked at this back in Exodus. Uh, we looked at the Sabbath day. And so the word Sabbath means basically rest. It means uh, you are to refrain from work. Now, what was the purpose? Well, the purpose for that was, you know, to rest from labor, to rest from labor. And, and there's a lot of good, you know, application for that. God knew his people needed rest. But there is also a theological application. They were to rest. Now, how is that fulfilled today? Well, we don't observe the Sabbath. And I think there is a very practical reason for that. We don't observe the Sabbath because, quite frankly, we do not have to labor anymore as far as laboring to be right with God. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is the one who paid the price. He is the perfect sacrifice. We'll see that again in just a moment as we look at the Passover. And so as Hebrews talks about, now we haven't looked at Hebrews for a while, when we went through the Bible last, uh, we looked at Hebrews. When we come back around again, we'll, we'll look at Hebrews again. And we will find that um, he tells us in chapter 4 that there is a rest for the people of God. We don't have to labor to be righteous. Let me just say something today. If you are a child of God, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you don't have to work to be righteous because you can't, for one thing. But, you know, I find so many of God's people today, legalists especially, you know, I told you, you know, some of you know my background. I grew up in a very legalistic church system, independent fundamental Baptist system. And, uh, you know, many of them, not all, I don't want to broad rush all of them. They're fine people, don't misunderstand me, but, uh, you know, many people try to work and they will say things like, well, we believe in salvation by grace through faith. and But they will say, okay, on the other hand, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, if you do this, you do that, you're right with God, so on and so forth. And, okay, so they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Either you work for your salvation or you don't. Now, let me, let me clarify something here. Not all independent fundamentals are like that, okay? Many of them are, you know... We want to live right. We want to do right. We don't want to do certain things because we love the Lord. Those are great motives. Okay, so you know if that's your motive for not doing this or doing that, you know 
if, if that is your motive because you love the Lord, that's one thing. But if your motive is to, well, you know, I have to do this in order to be right, in order to get right, then I would, you know, you're spinning your wheels because you don't have to, basically. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. I rest from my labor of trying to make myself righteous with God. When he looks at me, when God looks at Joe Thompson, he doesn't see the sin. He sees the blood of his son Jesus. I approach God by faith in Christ. And when he sees me, he sees the blood. And 1 John 1, 9, when I confess my sins, we'll talk about that later on as we get into obedience versus disobedience. When we confess our sins, two things happen. Number one, he is faithful and just to forgive us and then to cleanse us. So it's a you know kind of a twofold thing here. He forgives us, he cleanses us. And in chapter two of first John, verse one, basically what he says is, you know, these things have I written that you not sin, but if you sin, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Who is our advocate? Our advocate is Jesus and another word for advocate is lawyer, our representative now down here on earth <clears throat> when we commit a crime we we get a lawyer he takes us to court and they try us and our lawyer is charged with responsibility of okay he didn't do it so he should be found not guilty okay that's and you know the way we think but when it comes to Christ our representative he doesn't say we didn't do it he looks at the father and says, "Yeah, I know he did it. He's guilty. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. What are you talking about? I, we, I, you know, you're, you're supposed to get me off. No, you're guilty. You did do it. However, here's what he says. He's able to forgive us and to cleanse us. Why? Because the price has been paid. The death penalty has been levied on Jesus. He took it. He died for my sin. That's the price of sin, death. And so he says, "Yeah, he did it. I know he did it, but." I died for him. I shed my blood. He's accepted me as his personal savior. And on that basis, he's able to forgive me. Now, that doesn't give us a license to sin. That should give us freedom to serve the Lord and love him. Yes, will we sin as believers? We do sin. But I'll tell you what, we sure don't want to. And when we do sin, we have conviction of the Holy Spirit. He makes us aware of that. and So we'll deal with it. Okay, not to condemn us, there's a difference in conviction and condemnation. Conviction is that overwhelming sense of, oh man, I have sinned against God. Okay, Holy Spirit will not condemn you. There is now no condemnation, Romans 8.1. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the Sabbath, of we, we don't observe the Sabbath day. I, I went to a camp when I was a child in Louisiana. Uh, Seventh-day Adventist and you know they did everything by the Sabbath and you know we we had camp and then we had Saturday Sabbath you know we went and heard Bible instruction all day and they observed the Sabbath well they don't really have to okay because Jesus is the rest verse 5 um, in the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's okay here we go Passover uh, and on the 15th day on the 15th day the same uh, of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord seven days ye shall uh, ye must eat unleavened bread 
course, we talked about leaven before. Leaven is a type of of sin. And he says, in the first day, ye shall have a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work. He goes on to talk about that as well. Let's talk about Passover for just a minute. Um, Passover, of course, is we remember that if you were with us when we studied Leviticus. Uh, I'm sorry, Exodus. We learned about Passover. It reminds the children of Israel of when they were slaves in Egypt, and it reminds of that day when he brought them out of the land of Egypt into freedom, crossing the Red Sea, crossing the Red Sea of, of salvation. That's a type of salvation. And so was that fulfilled, of course? Yes, it was, because Paul tells us, and I think it's in 1 Corinthians, that Christ is our Passover. And so you know, you know today we don't have to kill a lamb in April uh, we recognize Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. It's interesting, interesting how that Jesus and they celebrated basically that night. Okay, they celebrated that night, and he instituted the Lord's table. Um, the Jewish day began. In the evening and it went to the next evening so the next daytime during the daylight hours when he died that was still the same day of the Passover and so it's no accident that all of this fell on the Jewish Passover Jesus of course is our Passover he is the one who was sacrificed John calls him the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world and uh, so we see Passover here. Now in verse 15, and here again I'm, I'm I'm kind of skipping around here. In verse 15, there's another feast, and ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, uh, from the day that ye brought um, the sheaf of the wave offerings, seven days, so that the count off. And this is to be a perpetual feast, okay? Um, and then he goes on and continues to talk about not only the Sabbath or uh, 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 Passover, he continues to talk about the offerings that are to be offered. And here again, this was to be. Now, um, let's see. I am going to. Okay, so we're continuing to talk about Passover, and then, of course, the Feast of Pentecost took place 50 days after that. Um, now, Pentecost was a very interesting feast in that, and this is verses 15 and following, it is interesting in that 50 days. Now, we get our word Pentecostal today. We have a denomination of people called Pentecostals, and that scares a lot of people, and it should not. So... Here we go. It's not Halloween, but I'm going to scare you, okay? The word Pentecostal, you ready? You might get scared. All it means is 50, okay? That's all it means. 50, penta, okay? It's five. So, in essence, after Passover, they waited 50 days. They had another feast called the Feast of First Fruits, and then, of course, the Feast of Pentecost. And all it was was another feast of celebrating, bringing in the harvest. And just as Passover was fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ the feast of Pentecost was fulfilled and that was the day Acts chapter 2 that the church was born 
and when you bring in the harvest and Peter what did he do on the first uh, on that first day that first Pentecost Sunday he preached the first sermon in the church and what does the Bible say happened it says that many were added to the church about 3,000 plus they were starting to bring in the harvest people were harvested souls were harvested and so there's the fulfillment of the feast of Pentecost and um, all Pentecostal means in its truest sense is you know now I'm gonna say something controversial can you imagine that um, all of us should be well let me say it like this not in a denominational sense but in a theological sense all of us if we're saved are Pentecostals <laughs> okay you say whoa what are you talking about well okay what happened on Pentecost Sunday well you know the Holy Spirit began to do what he began to empower believers to give the gospel okay it wasn't just for the pastors it wasn't just for the apostles it was for everybody you know as as, as I read Acts 2 everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit in that upper room that day so if you really want to get technical about it all of us are and ought to be considering ourselves Pentecostal because we have the Holy Spirit and we celebrate that 50th day that Pentecost when the Spirit began to empower those who were to give out the gospel and that includes everybody so okay so now you can go and say Pastor Joe says all of us are Pentecostal well we ought to be okay and I mean that in the theological sense not in so much the denominational sense by the way in the book of Acts there were no denominations there were just Christ followers and they followed Christ and they obeyed the Lord they gave the gospel they did what they were told to do okay they had they fulfilled hello the Great Commission that's why I wrote you know modeling the Great Commission that's why I wrote the book so we could look at how to do that okay That'll be coming out next year, hopefully, Lord willing, be in prayer about that. And so uh, that's what this feast represents. Look down in verse 23. And the Lord spake unto uh, Moses, saying, and watch this, verse 24. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, now we're going to fast forward down to the seventh month. And the first day of the month shall you what? Have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets this is the feast of trumpets and a holy convocation verse 25 ye shall here again do no so no serve our work therein but ye shall what ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord uh, and the Lord spake unto Moses so that was the feast of trumpets here again he says another one here saying uh, um, also on the tenth day of this seventh month so here again there's two feasts basically in one shall be a day of what atonement now this is Yom Kippur day of atonement this is where they were to go and they were to uh, the Bible talks about here they were to afflict their souls they were to confess sin and so on and so forth now in Israel they still do that today and of course that was the day unfortunately when 50 years ago the Yom Kippur war broke out it was on that the most holy day on the Jewish calendar that they were attacked and I would submit to you that it was on that day again that they were attacked here just a few weeks ago Israel's involved in another war and Israel's enemies selected that day and God gives instructions here about this no work 
you shall do no manner of work. It was to be a celebration, not just a confession of sin, but a celebration, okay? Um, he says here, it shall be unto you a Sabbath, if you want to call it that, a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls, as we just talked about. And the ninth day of the month, at even, uh, from even unto even. So there you have the Jewish day, starts in the evening, goes to the next. Shall be a, uh, shall he celebrate your Sabbath. Um, so this was a feast here that was designed to represent, okay, we have sinned. We have disobeyed the Lord. Now, some people believe that this was already fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus, when the rest, he is our Sabbath. Remember we talked about that a few minutes ago? Some see this, and as I studied this earlier, I found that some people believe that this feast was already fulfilled in that when Jesus came the first time. There are some people who believe, and here again, I'm not going to get tangled up in this, but I just want to make you aware, there are some people who believe that Jesus may have been born not so much in the winter like you know we celebrate today in December, but in the fall. Uh, some suggest that perhaps he was born in October, perhaps on the Day of Atonement. And it is true that our Christmas on our calendar, it was basically, now this is the truth of the matter, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have Christmas, don't misunderstand me, but some people suggest that the actual day that we celebrate as Christmas was really a day selected arbitrarily from a pagan holiday. And here again, I, you know, I'm not suggesting that we stop celebrating and all that okay just to make you aware that Jesus probably was not born in December could have been much earlier like in the fall okay um, so now there are also those who believe and I think this is more probably uh, probably more what uh, is going to happen that this feast here of atonement day of atonement is actually going to be fulfilled in the future when Jesus comes the second time to the earth not the rapture okay the rapture is not the second coming okay the rapture is his removal of his bride from the earth to go to be with him for seven years the second coming to the earth that's when he actually sets foot on the earth and begins to rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords some believe and i would hold probably more to this actually i would say this is you know this could be a double fulfillment Sometimes in the Bible we have double fulfillments. In, in other words, you know, it was fulfilled on two occasions. First of all, when Jesus was born, and then some believe that it will be fulfilled ultimately in his second coming to the earth. And uh, that's probably uh, a better way to think of this, a double fulfillment. At any rate, this feast will be fulfilled. And as you look at all of these feasts, understand that God is a God who keeps his word and I want to keep that before you today because you know we're living in a very fearful time you know we're living in a crazy time of you know life here um, where you know good is evil and evil is good you know we have our you know so many anti-semitic things that are happening and it seems to be on the rise just in the past four weeks since this war in Israel started and yet we have our vice president I heard this morning on the radio 
And you know what her concern is? Her concern is not anti-Semitism. Her concern is, well, she's going to try to do something about Islamophobia. Okay, so, all right, we're not supposed to fear the terrorist, according to her. And uh, it's all crazy. It's just, it's just craziness. Okay. Um, but what I want to keep before you is God keeps his word. These feasts have been, will be fulfilled. God always keeps his word. You can trust God's word. All this was written, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, so that we can look back at the Old Testament and say, wow, God fulfills his word. God, you know, this is for our benefit. Okay, I, I, I'm not quoting directly. Now, let's drop down to verse 33 and look at that. Um, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, and he continues in verse 34, speaking unto the children of Israel, saying, the fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles uh, for seven days unto the Lord. And he goes on to describe this. And this is really what we would consider the feast of booths, if you will. Down in verse 42, they are commanded to go out from their houses. They are to live in booths for seven days. And why is that? It is to remember how that God preserved them during the 40-year trek through the desert. Now, granted, God didn't mean for them to walk 40 years in the desert. You know, that came as a result of their disobedience. But nevertheless, during that time, guess what happened? God spared them. He protected them. He preserved them. God is going to take care of his people, even in disobedience. Now, don't misunderstand me. You know, I don't mean here that God approves of disobedience. But what I am saying is God preserves even through our disobedience. And I think this shows that directly. Even through the rebellion of Israel, God protected them. I heard a story this morning. I read it on Telegram. I subscribe to Amir Sarfati. He is a Bible teacher in Israel. And he uh, I've mentioned him before on this podcast. And he teaches the Bible. He's mainly a prophecy teacher. But he's a former um, Israeli military guy. He was in the reserves army for a number of years over there. And he got saved at age, I think, 17. And oddly enough, when he saw the Jesus film, and he he began to serve the Lord. So he's a Messianic Jew. And here's the thing about him. He put out a testimony this morning on Telegram of a soldier. I thought this was neat. Saturday morning, October the 7th, was when the attack came from Hamas, when they attacked Israel. And um, this soldier, by his own testimony, says he was called to his unit. And they didn't even have time to do anything with their weapons. They couldn't clean them. They couldn't send them to the armory to replace parts, nothing. They had to get their guns and go to the front line because they were being attacked. I mean, the attack was underway. And this soldier, according to Safadi, basically says, hey, I went to my unit and for three days we fought terrorists, we killed terrorists, our guns worked, my gun worked, it worked perfectly, no problem. But then finally we had a little bit of respite after three days, went back, were able to get cleaned up and get our weapons, you know, and they cleaned their weapons um, and they found that their weapons did not work. 
they needed to go back to the armory to be replaced with certain parts. In other words, during that first three days, God miraculously caused their weapons to work. It was an amazing story. I've heard stories like that throughout all of Israel's other wars. Six-day war, Yom Kippur, I've heard stories like that before. And I'm just telling you, God preserves His people. Don't mess with Israel. Okay, if you do, you're going to get a black eye every time. Okay, and uh, that's just a testimony of what God has done and what God even is doing today in 2023. You know, on the first or second day of this war, I put out a post on Facebook and I said, if you really want to know how this is going to end, read the book of Esther. Have any questions? And I put a big question mark after that. Okay, I don't have any question as to how this is going to end. Now, will it be a tough war? Yes. Is Israel losing soldiers? Yes, they are. They are losing soldiers. They are, you know, they are taking casualties, no doubt. But I'm telling you, Israel's enemies will not succeed in destroying them. It just isn't going to happen. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39. I went over that last week when I did the podcast on Ezekiel. Okay, um, you better get on the right side. That's what I'm telling you. Get on God's side. Look in the Word of God and obey the Lord. Okay, chapter 24, let's read through this now. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto, now watch this, me a pure oil, olive beaten of the light, to cause the lamp to burn continually. Now this is dealing with the tabernacle. And if you were with me when we studied Exodus in the making of the tabernacle, we talked about these lamps, okay? Without the veil of the testimony, in the tabernacle of the congregation shall Aaron, now he's the priest at this time, Aaron order it from the evening, now watch this, from the evening unto the morning before the Lord continually, it shall be a statute forever in your generations. That light was to continue to burn. Why? Because that light is a type of the Holy Spirit, that oil that powers the light in the tabernacle is a type of the Holy Spirit. That is to be lit continually. Okay, We ought to be having the oil continuing to flow in our lives today in the power of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say about us? We are the salt of the earth. We are the what? We are the light of the world. And we reflect Christ. When people look at us, when people see us, they are to see the reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course you know now, let the blind guy teach you something about light this morning, okay? I used to be able to see some, so I know something about light. I know something about reflection, okay? So, you know, he's the light. The Holy Spirit is the light. And he shines through us. And when people look at us, what do they see? What should they see? They see a reflection of Christ from us. We're to reflect his image. And so... The oil that powers that light is to be present in our lives. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and that's all this is about here. And he continues to say, You shall order the lamps upon uh, upon the pure candlesticks before the Lord continually. Okay, it's to be continually. And thou shalt take fine flour. And he continues to talk about offerings. These offerings are to be offered here. Um, and he describes in detail how many rows ought to be. Okay, that doesn't apply to us. The point we're trying to make is simply this. This light is to be lit perpetually. Now, it's interesting if you go back 
if you go back in 1 Samuel, and we'll get to that eventually. 1 Samuel, what does the Bible say about society in 1 Samuel 3? Well, he says that in Ur the lamp of God went out. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. And what that is referring to is the fact that you know, the word of God wasn't being taught in Samuel's day. And because it wasn't being taught, the lights went out. And I would submit to you that today, uh, if you, you, know, you show me a church where the word of God is not taught perpetually, where it's not taught consistently, and I'll show you a church where the power of the Holy Spirit is not there. Okay, that's just a matter of fact. The centrality of the teaching of the Word of God. That's why we don't have any fancy schmancy things on the podcast. I've had people try to tell me I need pretty music. I need this. I need that to draw attention. Back when I did video, I had people telling me, well, you know, you need to focus your camera on you. They want to see your stuff. You know, you want to wow them with all your technology as a blind person that you're using. And I'm like, no, they don't need to see that. Okay. Well, no, that'll draw the crowd, I was told. Okay, look, I'm not trying to draw a crowd, okay? I want the Word of God to draw the crowd. I I want the teaching of the Word of God to do the work, okay? You don't need to see my equipment. You don't need to see even me, you know. You you don't need to hear my story, all right? Um, What you need is the Word of God teaching in your life. And as the Word of God is brought out day by day by day, what's going to happen? That gives the Holy Spirit something to use in our lives, okay? And so that's what we need to be focusing on. Churches that focus, and and, and I'm going to tell you something. Churches that are growing today, and I'm not saying necessarily in numbers, although it can mean that, but I will tell you churches that are growing today are churches that are those that teach consistently the Word of God. That's a fact. Mark it down. Okay. And verse 10. Let's, Let's get off that soapbox. I could say a lot about that. So... We have that here. Now, he moves on to something else in Leviticus 24. Something happened here. There was a son here of an Israelitish woman uh, whose father was an Egyptian. This, you know, this boy here. And what happened was simply this. The Bible describes how that he was in a fight and he blasphemed the name of God as he was fighting. And so what happened here, and someone heard it, and they put him in custody, verse 12. They put him in ward, as King James says. Why? That they might figure out what God says should be done with this young boy who blasphemed the name of God while he was fighting. So the issue here wasn't he was fighting. The issue was he blasphemed the Lord. Verse 13, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, okay, here's what you're to do, verse 14. Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all, now watch this, let all the congregation stone him. Um, Well, that's, you say, that's harsh. Well, yeah, that is harsh. But you know what? God had harsh penalties, and so crime was low. Now, there's a lot to be said for harsh penalties, I, I will say. Um, you know, there are two sides to this. People say, well, you know, you know, why, why, should, you know, why, why do we have harsh penalties for certain things today? Um, I find that in societies 
where you have harsh penalties for crimes, you have low crime rate, as we just said. Let me give you some examples of our modern day, okay? In our country today, United States, we do not have harsh penalties for drug use. In fact, some states, including Virginia, where I live, have legalized drug use. You can walk around, smoke weed, and you smell it on people all the time. And, you know, back in the day, they slapped you on the hand, sent you to prison. Um, now, at least for now, there are laws against drug dealing. But I'll tell you what, if we're here long enough, I have a feeling those laws will probably be overturned at some point. Um, I watch... Okay, I'm from the old school, all right? I'm 55 years old. I watch old TV. I like Adam-12, Dragnet, things like that. And I look at today's society and I think to myself, you know, Jim Reed, Pete Malloy, Adam-12, Joe Friday, Dragnet, those guys would turn over in their graves if they, you know, saw what was happening today. You know, they would arrest people for drug use. I know those are fictional shows, but I'm just saying it reflected, you know, what was going on back in that day, 60s, early 70s. Now, the other side of that is there are other countries in the world. For example, Singapore, Indonesia. Guess what? In Indonesia, you don't have a problem with drug use or drug peddling in Indonesia. Why is that, you say? Because if you're caught with drugs in those countries, you're shot. There was a case back in 2015 where eight or nine men were caught they were from Australia and they went to Indonesia and they were caught with drugs and uh, they were called the Bali 8 I believe that's what they were and I think they were arrested in 05 06 somewhere in there well their case lasted you know drug on for years well finally they took all those guys out all eight of them I think there was a ninth one and, and at the last minute they got a pardon or a stay or something but uh, eight of them were shot all at the same time now here was the story. These eight guys, while they were in prison, they got saved, got gloriously saved, converted, which was fine. I'm for that. But they still had to pay a price for what they did, and so they were all shot. And you know, there's some stories going around about their testimony. That's okay. I'm, I, I'm trying to show you that in society where there are penalties, strong penalties for crime, you have low crime rate. Okay? Um, you go to certain countries of the world today and people don't steal why because there are still today countries where if you're caught stealing they solve that problem they cut your hand off they figure well if you don't have any hands you can't steal okay well there's another side to that you haven't solved the heart problem you can cut hands and feet off and do all that but you haven't solved the heart problem so the issue is the heart now it's interesting here in this same passage where this guy who got in a fight and was executed, basically, by stoning, God puts some other commandments here along with this. Now watch what he says here. Verse 15, he tends to deviate, but I think God is making a point here. Starting in verse 15, And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him um, as well 
as the stranger. So that applied to the stranger. But in verse 17, God seems to kind of turn a corner here and talk about something that doesn't seem to be related, but I think it is related. Watch what he says here in verse 17. And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. So he is, you know, um, he is highlighting here the difference between man and animals. And verse 17, if you kill a man, you're to be put to death. But in verse 18, he that killeth the beast shall what? Shall make it good. So you didn't get the death penalty for killing a beast, but you did get the death penalty for killing a man. And I think that's significant because God is highlighting here the fact that human life is higher than animal life. Now, he's not saying that we shouldn't treat animals correctly. He's just saying that human life is not the same as animal life. Humans are not animals. And humans are made in the image of God. Animals are not. And I find today in our society, we have people. I, I saw a sad story on the news last week about a man, and he lost his house in a fire. That's sad. That's tragic. And he had four dogs, and they died in the house. But the man referred to those dogs as his children. Now, I want to say something, okay? I am in sympathy with the man who lost his house. And, hey, listen, I have pets. I've got a cat. And I don't want to lose her. I know someday I will. I've had, you know, I've lost pets before. I'm not saying it's not important. But what I am saying is, I've got a cat. She's not my daughter. I have two sons. They're human beings. Okay? We had a dog. She was a beagle. She was not our daughter. She was our dog. And I'm just trying to say that we need to make, you know... Now, why am I making such a big deal about this? Because in Romans chapter 1, one of the ways that we can tell that society is moving in the wrong direction is people are beginning to worship the creation more than the creature and he does speak of four-footed beasts so on and so forth when people begin to put animals over humans or on the same plane as humans you can mark it down society is going downhill because he said that leads to immorality it leads to homosexuality it leads to lesbianism and where are we today in society well we've legalized all that stuff in our society okay let's keep our focus on God's Word. And here again, he makes the difference between those two. Man and animals, they're not the same. Um, and I think it's also interesting, I'll make one more point about this point before we go to 25. I think it's also interesting that he puts these commands down after he deals with this issue with this man who was fighting and he cursed God. Uh, he's highlighting here that what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And here again, you've heard me talk about this before. Jesus made that same, uh, he taught that same lesson in Matthew 15 when he basically taught that um, what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And that is exactly what God's Word is trying to So we need to solve a heart problem. And the heart problem is the heart of sin. It's not what you take in that defiles you. It's what's in you that comes out. That's what defiles a man, he says in Matthew 15. So it's a heart problem. This man cursed because he had a heart problem. Now, um, here again, he was put to death. And in our day, what do we do? We look back to the death of Jesus. Jesus, uh, uh, 
If, if, if God had the same standard today that he had back in the Old Testament, there'd be a lot of funerals because a lot of people curse. Okay, first, all right, so chapter 25, let's move on. Let's try to move through this section here as quickly as we can. And the Lord spake unto Moses in, in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then, now watch this, he talks about, okay, so we're in the section here, obeying the Lord. And the land here, they're told that the land should keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Now what does that mean? Okay, it seems, okay, he explains it starting in verse 3. Six years, six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt, thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But, verse 4, in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath of the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. So, okay, chapter 25 is basically to lay out the regulations for farming. Now, what's the purpose for this? Well, a couple things. It is to remind them of their Sabbath, obviously. Number two, it is a very practical thing. They were to farm that land for six years, let it rest on the seventh year. To what? To rejuvenate. Okay, if you let land rest for one year, guess what? All of the nutrients in the soil will be renewed. And when you go back on the eighth and ninth year and start to farm it again, then your crops will grow. And God says... And I'm summarizing here, but God says in this chapter that if you do this, if you do what I tell you to do, then guess what? In the sixth year, you're going to grow twice as much so that you will have food during the year you're not farming that land. In other words, God will bless. And here again, here's the principle that I think God is trying to teach us. If we obey the word of God, he blesses. If we don't obey, he won't bless. In fact, this was born out in Israel in its history. If you go through the Old Testament and read through, you'll find that after 490 years, God said, well, you know what? You didn't let the land rest, and so what I'm going to do, I'm going to use my calculator, and I'm going to do 7 times 7, 49, in 490 years, 7 times 70, and I'm going to let you leave this land and let the land have its Sabbath for 70 years while you go into Babylon into captivity. And you know what? Sure enough, guess what? That happened. He sent them into captivity for 70 years. Then he brought them back. Now, a couple other things are noted in this chapter. There is a Sabbath. There is a Jubilee that was supposed to be uh, fulfilled as well. When you owned land in that day... First of all, after six years, on the seventh year, you were to uh, release someone from a debt. If you own land, and if you had to sell it, you could lease it out to somebody else. But guess what? On the 50th year, that land was to go back to its original owner. So that was to protect God's people, and they would perpetually own their land. Works a little bit different today. If you lose your land, you lose your land. You don't have it anymore. Okay. God had a way to protect his people from even bankruptcy, if you will. And there are a lot of things to be said about that. God in his word is basically saying here in these verses, in these chapters that we're going through, 
we're to celebrate him and we are to obey him when we obey you know and, and as we'll see next time we're going to 26 27 we'll wrap this book up when we go through 26 27 i urge you to read it before we do the podcast before you listen um you will find god will lay out conditions here's what i'm going to do if you obey here's what i'm going to do if you don't obey and guess what to the letter he fulfilled it and in our day today once again uh as god's children we obey um you know we'll get blessed now that doesn't mean i'm not a prosperity teacher that doesn't mean if you you know obey the lord he's going to give you you know double your salary a better job he might do that but he won't be because you obeyed okay so i'm not saying this is automatic but i am saying that if you obey the lord he will look out for you he will take care of you he will meet all of your needs and i find today that many people's needs are not met not so much because they disobey the Lord, although that, that could be true, but we don't manage properly what God has given to us. I still think a lot of financial difficulties that people get into. Now, granted, any one of us could end up in financial ruin, but a lot of it, much of it today, is due to mismanagement. If we could just manage our money more effectively, we could do more with it. And certainly if we obey the Lord um, one final thought about that God always gets his due he, he, he told them you're to rest on the Sabbath your land is to rest if it doesn't it will rest one way or the other and I'm just telling you God always gets his due he balances the books God is good at that he does it and so you know there's an old Greek saying you know don't roll the dice they're loaded. Okay, that's where that phrase "loaded dice" comes from. Uh, you know, don't don't try to gamble against the gods. You'll lose every time. The Greeks say, and and I would say to that, you know, don't try to outdo God. Uh, you'll lose every time. It's better to obey in the long run, and you'll find that if you do obey, guess what? You will uh, have a better time of it. Well. It starts with coming to know him as your personal savior. This doesn't apply. Um, you know, when we talk about God's children, um, it starts with realizing your need of a savior. Okay, your heart is is wicked. Your heart is full of sin. What's the solution to that? Well, the solution obviously is the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you willing to admit you're a sinner? Are you willing to say, God, I've sinned against you. I know I've sinned. I need a savior. I am in great need today. And if you are willing to do that, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means put your faith in Him and Him alone. And then call upon Him. Right there where you are, you can call on God to save you. I urge you to do that today. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us that not only do you want us to celebrate you, but you also want us to obey and therefore be blessed of you. Because there are negative consequences that result in our lives when we do not. So we thank you for all you're doing for us. Thank you for this book. Leviticus is a tough book, and we're trying to get through it. But Lord, we thank you for what you're teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, I won't be sending up one tomorrow. I'll be busy, so probably Tuesday of next week, Monday or Tuesday, okay? Work with me on this. I'm, you know, I've got a lot to do, so I'm trying to use my time wisely. God bless you until the next time.